You're listening to the Sunday morning sermons from North Bullet Christian Church, located in Shepherdsville, Kentucky. If you have questions or would like to know more information on our church and or ways to connect, grow, and serve with us, email us at info at northbulletcc.org or come and gather with us on Sundays at 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. And with that, let's look at today's sermon. God's Word says this, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but... The Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Verse 28, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. This is the word of the Lord. Let us bow our heads and pray for our time together. Father, we do love you. We thank you for your grace and your mercy. We thank you for the blood of Jesus who has joined us together as family, as the family of God, as your children, Lord. And we gather to worship Jesus who has made this possible through his perfect life, death, and resurrection, Lord. We thank you uh, that we can enter into covenant with other members, that we can uh, carry forth uh, the work of the ministry, equipping and and making disciples, Lord, and, and proclaiming the gospel to those who are far from Jesus. Lord, as we look to this passage this morning, God, we pray that we would rest Uh, in the assurance that you have given us uh, through your indwelling spirit in the finished work of Jesus, God, that that because of that, we can have a confidence and boldness as we approach you, uh, Lord, and that uh, we can have a peace that passes all understanding. We pray these things in the precious name of Jesus, all of God's people said, amen. In the life of of Paul, we have a, a collision of kind of some negative experiences with his personal Actions. What I mean by this is that Paul lived a difficult life. If you read through scriptures, like he had a he had a rough life after he came to know Christ, and yet his difficulty in life, his earthly experience, didn't sway him, it seems, one bit from his calling, the calling that the Lord had placed on his life. Second Corinthians eleven actually details the suffering and trials and difficulty that Paul faced. It tells us this that five times he's he was whipped. Three times beaten with rods, stoned, shipwrecked, okay? Not once, not twice, but three times shipwrecked. He spent time adrift at sea. That's terrifying, right? Just kind of floating around out there in the ocean, in danger from rivers, robbers, and attempts at his life from both Jew and Gentile. Hunger, thirst, cold, right? You name it, every category of suffering and pain that you could go through, it seems that the Apostle Paul went through in his life all in his time when he was carrying out service to the Lord, service to the local church, right? His experience and action kind of colliding together. This letter here that we have in in Romans was written probably about the middle part of Paul's ministry. He's definitely at this point when he's written this letter to encourage the church in Rome, he's definitely experienced all of the trials that we find listed in 2 Corinthians 11 because we believe that that letter was written before this one. So we know he's gone through Uh, these painful experiences and suffering, and it speaks to us out of his experience that he has in life, that he has actually lived these truths out. That should be an encouragement to us 
as we face a world of suffering and pain and grief. And yet we find this in Paul. His faith is not swayed, right? He stands boldly and confidently in the presence of the Lord, and he stands boldly on the mission that God has placed him on, which is to be you know, the pastor to Gentiles, a proclaimer of the gospel. His fellowship with the Lord is not left in shambles. He presses on. He gives us insight, inspiration, and this is a key word this morning. He gives us assurance through his own personal journey. It brings us to a main idea. Our main idea is this. Rest assured, the Lord is always with you. Rest assured, the Lord is always with you, right? So Paul's experiences aren't just some, you know, a high schooler who's thinking their life is falling apart because their girlfriend broke up with them or they failed a really important science test. He is meeting real life threats, right? Who here's been shipwrecked even once? Like I haven't. Three times this guy was shipwrecked. He's faced real life trials and he's lived to tell about it. The Lord has sustained him through those things. And out of that experience, he's eager to encourage and share, and share in those experiences in order to assure each and every Christian, everybody in earshot of his message, that his, his experiences are not leading him away from Christ, or, but they're leading him to a closer relationship with Jesus. And that all comes through the power of the Spirit that has indwelt Paul. If we go back to Romans 8, 16, we preached on that a few weeks ago. He says this, the, the Spirit himself, so the Holy Spirit, the personal Spirit of God, bears witness with our spirit, our soul, right, our innermost being, that we are this, children of God. We talked in that message about the adoption that we have, that God has adopted us as his children. And so we learn this, that the spirit within you tells the truth to our spirit, to our soul. It assures us that we are indeed God's children. He is, we could say it this way, that God is with us and for us. We call this, again, the assurance of God. What exactly is assurance? I have a few uh, quotes to share with you. Assurance is this. Assurance of salvation is a God-given confidence for every true believer in Christ of this, of their present approval and future acceptance by their Father, Father God, right? Our Heavenly Father. The Lord will indeed, as Paul writes in another one of his uh, writings, he will indeed complete his good work of salvation. He is faithful to complete it. J.I. Packer says it this way, there, there is no peace like the peace of those whose minds are possessed with full assurance that they have known God and God has known them and that this relationship guarantees God's favor to them in life, through death, and notice this, and on forever, right? For eternity, Today's passage reveals this to us, three ways that the Lord assures us and comforts us with his presence, his plan, and his intentional involvement. So number one, we find this assuring truth that the Lord is the searcher of hearts. The Lord is the searcher of hearts. We're introduced here almost to like another name of God. He, he who searches the heart, it says. And we find assurance in knowing that God's personal Spirit works on our behalf, even in, as the text says, in our weakness, right? In our frailty, in our fallen nature, in our weakness and frailty and failure, even to find words to speak, the Spirit, the spirit is interceding on our behalf. Says this, verses 26 and 27, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, 
for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. Have you ever been there before, right? In that sort of deep pain, like, God, I don't even know what to say to you right now. But the Spirit himself, it says, intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who, here it is, he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit. Right? They're working together because the Spirit intercedes for the saints. I want to define saints for you. Saints are as every single person who has believed upon Jesus as Lord and Savior. That is a saint, right? The church doesn't declare who the saints are. God does. And if you are in Christ, you are a saint. So it's, this is for us. The Spirit intercedes for the saints according to what? The will of God. The plan of God. I want you to remember the, the connecting context here. Just before this, the, the, Paul has given us this truth. We see it in his life, a life dedicated to the mission of God and carrying forth the gospel. The, the reality that the Christian will suffer and struggle in the present life. Okay, There's going to be struggle. There's going to be suffering. There's going to be grief. There's great times also. There's happiness, there's joy, there's all those things. But inevitably, we will struggle with pain and grief and hurt. Even though the, the kingdom of God, we know this truth, has broken through into the present, we know that the Spirit has been poured out upon believers. We see this in Acts chapter 2, when after Jesus ascends to heaven, the Spirit of God is poured out on those hearing the gospel, we know that that continues for those who place their faith in Jesus are filled with God's Holy Spirit. We know that that has happened. We know that at the cross that Satan has been dealt a death blow, that the nail that was driven through the hands and feet of Jesus crushed the head of the serpent as promised in Genesis 3.15. But we also know this, that, that there is still, the, the curse exists still, the fall exists still upon God's creation. And thus, until the return of Christ, we can expect that there will be suffering and grief as an aspect of our earthly lives. But in, but in the midst of suffering, grief, and pain, we are assured that the Lord is with us. Did you hear me? In the midst of those things, we are assured that the Lord is with us, helping us in our weakness, helping us not to just endure through suffering, but to grow and flourish through suffering. That he's, he's indeed helping us to walk into the identity he's given us through Jesus. Helping us also to do this, to express ourselves and align us with God's will, even when we don't have the words to say. That's what he's getting at in this opening section. The Spirit prays for us in ways we don't even understand. We come to this beautiful truth in verse 27. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints, right? For believers, according to this, the will of God. We find here that, that the Lord knows the deepest details within each of us. He is called here the searcher of hearts. A New Testament scholar, N.T. Wright, notes that, that the word used for searching here gives us a picture of a, of a person in a dark place. Think of a cave with a lantern or a flashlight, looking around, searching. Now there are things, that, think about this. So God is searching your heart, like someone exploring a cave with a flashlight. I don't know about you, but I got things deep within that I don't want God to see. But guess what? He knows all of it. He knows everything within you. He knows every detail of your life. There's not one atom in creation that he doesn't know and hasn't placed. 
There's, there's nothing that we can keep hidden and tucked away out of the sight of God. We cannot because he is the searcher of hearts. He knows the hidden things deep within. And he is truly looking for this as he searches your soul. He's looking for the, his indwelling presence, the presence of his spirit within you. He's looking for himself. Will he, the question is this, will he, will he find the spirit as he searches with lantern and torch within, within your soul? His Holy Spirit working within you, interceding on behalf of God to do this. It says here to bring you in alignment with his will, right? You're not dragging God into what you think is best or what your will is. He's pulling you towards his will through the power of his spirit. A, a few weeks ago, I... I was at Academy. I love Academy. It's like one of my favorite sports stores. You know what I'm talking about? Academy. And I went in there and I wasn't going to buy anything, but then I walked out with a brand new pellet rifle. <clears throat> I won't tell you what I was going to use it for. And this, this new, I, I unboxed it. And this was the week, like we had that really, the frigid, frigid cold, right? The, the pellet rifle came with a, a shiny scope that you, you attach onto it, but, but the scope, right, it isn't aligned correctly out of the box, is it? It needs to be sighted in, right? You have to, you have to work on it a little bit. So it's freezing, and I, I go back out. I don't think things through, so I, I went out there barefoot. <laughs> I went out on my back porch, and I, I was too lazy to walk down the back of my property and actually draw a target out, so I found like this spot on the tree that I'm going to try to hit that spot. And so I, I start taking shots, and I'm thinking I could zero in and get the rifle sighted, but I'm not the most patient man, and so I am exaggerating adjustments. Like, you're supposed to just do kind of a few clicks. I can't really find the spot that I'm hitting on the tree. I don't know what, how far I'm off, so I just start seeing if I can just get lucky, right, and hit the spot. I needed some help, really. I needed a better set of eyes. And uh, in my impatience, I just gave up. So I came back in. I was freezing, set the rifle in the corner, gave up for the day. The next day, Jordan, my son, who at 16, he's way more patient and better at these things. Like, I'm impatient. Like, let's get it done. He grabbed the rifle. He drew out a, a target on a piece of cardboard and he set it up on the tree back there, and he began shooting away right at the, at the target. Except where he was standing, he couldn't see how far the sight was off. It wasn't even, it was completely missing the target. And I, I could hear him kind of fumbling around out there, talking a little bit to himself, trying to figure out. He, he didn't have anyone spotting or searching for the missed shot, right, when he was aiming at that target. So finally, I I walked out and I walked all the way down to the end of the property where the target was a safe distance away off to the side. So I could do this because he was, he's missing the target so that, so that I could search and spot if he hit the target or not. And then from down there, I would call out instructions to him to sight the rifle in closer and closer to the mark until we started getting right closer and closer right to that bullseye by what? by working together, right? By coming together. I would do this. I would call off how, how far he was. I would give him instructions, right? Okay, a couple clicks here, a couple clicks here. He received the instructions. He made the adjustments to get closer to the mark. 
Now, sometimes as we were working this in, the the wind would kind of interfere and move the shot off a little bit or the, the shot would miss because maybe there was a little bit of a nervous twitch. But I would encourage him to take another shot or we would give more instructions for the adjustment until we got to the bullseye. I think this is a great picture, a great illustration of the Spirit's helping and interceding work. He helps us. When, when we're off the mark, when we're wandering in the wilderness, when we're uttering words of despair, not communicating clearly with the Father, to guide us, what? Back to the target, back to the bullseye, back on course, searching our hearts with His torch and adjusting our lives in alignment with the Father's will. This is why Jesus would say this in his ministry. He says this really kind of peculiar statement. He says, it's to your advantage that I go away. And it left the disciples in despair when they heard these words from Jesus. Their friend, their savior is leaving them. They've seen this man, you know, heal the, the, the blind and the deaf, right? They've, they've, he's resurrected people, brought them back to life. He's forgiving sin, and he's going to go away, and that's better. Why? So that we can gain what Jesus called the helper. The helper. Who's the helper? The Holy Spirit. John 16, 6-7. But now I'm going to him who sent me, right? The Father. And none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. Here it is. It is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, here, the helper will not come to you, but if I go, here's the promise, I will send him to you. He has indeed come, family. The helper is here. The helper is present in this room. The helper is in us who have placed our faith and trust in Jesus. We have the Spirit of God living inside of us. So then what, what do we do in light of this truth? The, the truth that the, the Lord prays on our behalf, that should be mind-blowing, through His Spirit, that He is searching our hearts constantly. When we are His, His children, He guides us into His will. We do this. This is our application. We rest in the Spirit's intercessory work that He is indeed interceding on our behalf. We take hold of it. When I use that word rest, don't connect that to laziness. I'm not talking about just kind of being aloof and lazy and hanging out and not doing anything. Rest is, I find rest when I, you go and you work hard and you try to understand things and then at the end of the day, what? You sit down and just, whew, I'm done. I'm resting. We rest in the Spirit's intercessory work. We take hold of and sit back into the intercession of the Spirit of God. We take hold of this truth that He is indeed intervening, right, on our behalf. And we strive our spirit with the Lord's spirit to abide, to rest in his intervening work. We take hold of the, of the spirit's prayers. We take hold of the spirit's guidance. It's saying that he's guiding us into the will of God. Jesus says it this way in John 16, 13. It says, when the spirit of truth comes, here it is. He will guide you into all truth. The spirit doesn't lead you astray. That's the enemy. The true Spirit of God leads you into all the truth. For He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will declare to you the things that are to come, right? The will of the Father. That should give us assurance, right? It should comfort us. It should help us to rest in His work. Now, number two, the next point of assurance that we can take hold of is this. 
the realization, this is assuring that the Lord's plan is good. It's always good. The Lord's plan is good. It's, it's very important for the Christian to understand and remember the teachings of the scriptures, the whole counsel of God. Because from the scriptures, we, we know these things. Even though our life may not feel this way right now in this present time, but from the scriptures, we know these things about God. We call them his attributes or his characteristics, right? The character of God. What are some of the characteristics that we know about God from searching the scriptures? We know that God is righteous. We know that God is holy. We know that God is just. We know that God is loving. We also know this very important truth, I think, especially in this day and age. We know that God is unchanging. That's important when we think about his attributes, that God is always righteous, that God is always holy, that God is always just, that God is always loving. Because there's not one thing we come across in society that isn't constantly changing, right? Even, I'll use quotey marks here, the truth in our society is supposedly changing. It's not. It always rests in God. It rests in his word. It rests in his plan. That's the importance of knowing as society says, hey, your truth is your truth. My truth is my truth. We can rest in knowing that God is unchanging and he is all truth. And because he is unchanging, what's the result of that? We can trust this. If he's righteous and holy, we know that God never sins. We know that God is not evil. There's no evil within him. And in his love and justice, he brings about this good according to his perfect plan. Romans 8, 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for Good for those who are called according to his purpose. Now, we, we must take care to, to find the intention of the scriptures within this verse. I would venture to guess that many of us have memorized this verse and recite this verse when times get difficult. I know I do. It is, of course, a, a verse of massive importance, comfort. It's an assuring verse, isn't it? It's like the, the comforting words of, you, of your mother when you were sick, right? I know that God is working things for his good, for those who are called according to his purpose. The Lord is indeed working things out. We also understand, though, that the Lord does not work according to what our definition of good is. It's his definition of good. We do not understand the full intricacies of his will, of his plan, but, but we will likely all agree that there, have, there are things perhaps in your life that you have gone through in your walk with Jesus that seem at the time massively disruptive, create suffering and grief and difficulty, only to see the, the Lord's goodness sustain us through that bad time and reveal to us, you look back on a situation like, you know what, that actually was a good thing that I went through. I know it was tough at the time, but I, I can see the Lord's hand guiding me through that. And God, I trust you. I trust you that you, you guided me through that hard thing that I went through before, and you're going to keep guiding me through the hard things that I have coming in the future. Moreover, we, we have to understand that this is not 
Romans 8.28 is not a, a promise of abundant provision in the, in the present life. God's not saying, hey, I'm going to make you rich. Although it, it may be a blessing you receive. We don't want to discount it. God, God gives many people material blessings, and that's good and God-honoring if they honor God with that. But the intent is, is aimed more so at assuring the believer of the Lord's overarching good plan and the reality that the Holy Spirit is interceding on our behalf to bring us into his good plan. You see, because sometimes the, the Lord's plan can create discomfort in the present, right? We've all been there. We can even get to the place where sometimes we question the love of God for us. We may say, why, God? Why are you doing this? Paul answers this, this objection that we may have of, of God's justice and love in Romans 9, 14, when he says, what shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? And then Paul makes it real simple. By no means. Right? He's always righteous and holy and good. He's unchanging. He has to be all of those things. So then we, we have the assurance of knowing the Lord's plan is good. Because he is good all the time. Consistently. Constantly. The story of Joseph, right, from the Old Testament, when we think about these things, it, it, it reverberates in the Scripture showing us the good intentions of God's plan. If we think about Joseph for just a few moments, Joseph's earthly father, he, he showed a lot of favor to Joseph, didn't he? Maybe to a fault. We don't know the full implications of that. Would have played out a certain way. Why? Because God intervened. We see the Lord's hand all through that story. His, his earthly father, Joseph's earthly father and, and his favor likely would have crushed and destroyed this entire family because it brought about this jealousy and envy in the hearts of Joseph's brothers, right? And we can honestly say like when Joseph first starts talking about the visions that he has, I mean, the guy's a little bit arrogant, isn't he? Like, you guys are going to bow at my feet, you know. And we don't get all into the, what's going through his head, but I mean, there's just a lot there that he's saying that's probably left unsaid with brothers. You know what I'm saying? And yet God intervened and worked his will. The Bible says this, that the will of, of Joseph's brothers intended evil, Right? Then there's this beautiful statement, but God intended it for good. The Lord's overarching will, right? We can go through specific points at Joseph's life and it's absolutely terrible. The guy's trying to do things to honor God. He literally runs out of his clothing to avoid sin and then ends up in prison. So many things that he went through and, and hardships, but in the end, we see the Lord's will come to pass his plan. And Joseph is able to, there's forgiveness that abounds. There's, he's reunited with his father, right? And people are fed. Like the Lord blessed that family. We see the good of God's plan in Joseph's life. The, the Lord's overarching will protected Joseph, not from pain and hardship, but kept Joseph where he needed to be in order that the Lord's good plan could be brought to pass. What, how, what do we learn from this? It's, a, it's another point of application. We learn to rest in God's good plan. We learn to rest in God's good plan. 
This is a truth we must take hold of, especially as the, as the context here dictates. In the midst of pain, suffering, grief, maybe even anxiousness about life, do you have anxiety about life? We must rest in the Lord's good plan, knowing he is, as it says here, the searcher of hearts, knowing that his spirit is interceding on our behalf, knowing that he is holy, righteous, just, and loving. He loves, uh, he's a father. He loves to give his children good gifts. We can rest in, in the knowledge of his attributes as revealed in the scriptures, and we can take hold of them in our hearts and apply them in our present struggle so that we can pray in a manner uh, like Paul did in Philippians 4, 6-7, when he says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And then what will happen? He says, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds, and what? In Christ Jesus. The last point of assurance that we have from this passage is this, number three, that the Lord is intentional and involved. The Lord is intentional and involved in his creation. The, the picture of our heavenly father conveyed in the scriptures is not one of distance. He is not an, an absent father sitting back, passively allowing the world to unfold. The Lord is intentional and involved. Verses 29 and 30 says this, for those whom he foreknew, that, that word gives us a picture of an intimate knowledge about his children. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that is Jesus, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers, right? And I'll pause there to know that the sacrifice of Jesus was worth the cost, that people would be reconciled to his son. And those whom he predestined, he also called, and those whom he called, he also justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. Nothing controversial in those two verses at all, is there? <laughs> These two, let's get to the, to the simple truths here. These two verses grant us words of incredible assurance. We come to understand that the Heavenly Father is the most involved Father, we need this truth, especially in our culture. On Friday night, I was privileged to go sit with a few men for a dinner, a leader of a major men's ministry based out of Texas, and he was sharing some statistics about fatherlessness in our country. And so I came back to this truth because I was thinking about our Heavenly Father being a good father, a great example for a father to us. He's the most involved father. The, the, did you know this? The, the United States Census Bureau found this in a recent study that nearly 18 and a half million children in America grow up without their fathers. 18 and a half million. In reading an article on this, it stated the United States owns the title of the world's leader in fatherlessness. So I know when I talk about our Heavenly Father being a good father that that hits home with some of you in here. Maybe you didn't have a father present in the home. Maybe, maybe this statistic doesn't, doesn't even capture you in that way, but you have a father who was home but just really wasn't present or good. You struggled through life. I, I want to say this as, as an aside from this point. Fathers, you got up this morning and you dressed your family 
and you started the car and you got them in the vehicle and you brought them to church this morning, good job. You're doing the right thing. But back into the text, it's, it's safe to assume that there's some in this room that have been impacted by fatherlessness, or I'll add to this, a, a distorted view of fatherhood in your life. Even those of us who, like I had a good dad growing up, but there's some things I look back on, I'm like, hmm, I'm not going to do it that way. <laughs> and I'm sure when my kids get older, they're going to look back and be like, eh, I'm not going to do it that way, right? We all, we all have our mistakes that we make. But in this passage, when we learn that our Heavenly Father is intentional and involved, we are assured in the midst of our earthly father's shortcomings that we have a Heavenly Father who is engaged in our life, who knows us intimately. He knows His children well. He always has. That's what it's getting at here. He has a good and perfect plan that will come to pass. Those who walk according to his will and plan through faith in Jesus are, the passage says here, justified. What does that mean? That the record of our debt of sin no longer stands against us. That Jesus took it on the cross. He took on our shame. He took on our punishment. He canceled it and he said, you're not guilty anymore. You're justified. And ultimately, I believe as the scriptures teach here, that the Lord will complete the good work he started in each of us, giving us full assurance that our salvation will be finished in Christ Jesus. It's why Jesus, when he was on the cross, said these three words, it is finished. This results in this, on our part, in, a, in an intentional rest in this. It's our last point of application. A rest in knowing that the Lord is involved in your life. Okay. God is not distant. It's the old uh, argument of the cosmic watchmaker, right? That God's just some watchmaker. He created it. He wound it up, spun it into existence. Dude's chilling on a recliner, just eating popcorn and seeing how things work out. No, God is intentional and involved in his creation. He is present. He is near and we can rest in knowing that the Lord is involved in your life. Even if you feel distant from God, God is near to you. I think King David gives us insight in Psalm 139. And mind you, we believe that the scriptures are God-breathed, that they were given to human authors who wrote them under, we say this, under the inspiration of God's personal Holy Spirit. Every word is as God intended this. We see David writing under the inspiration of God's spirit of the Lord's intention and involvement in our lives in Psalm 139, 13 to 16. From the very beginning, check this out. For you formed my inward parts. I love this. You knitted me together in my mother's room, right? We, like how close is that? God sewing you together, knitting you together. David says, I praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in, in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. Notice this. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, right? God knows everything. 
when as yet there were none of them. Even before, God knew. He knows everything. God is, is intentional and involved. That's the simple truth that we find from these two verses. God is this. I want you to hear this. God is, as we found in this passage, he, he's the searcher of hearts. He knows this this morning. He knows your true standing in him. When we learned what that word meant, it means someone walking around, right, with a lantern looking in the dark. God is the searcher of hearts. He knows your true standing in him. He knows exactly where you stand. The rest of us can just guess. If you know Jesus or not, if you have a relationship, we can just guess, like, yeah, I think so. But God truly knows. Do you realize that truth this morning? That God is searching inside of you. As the Lord this morning, as he searches our hearts today, that should, should peel back. God is doing heart surgery today. We must do business with the fact that there, there is this reality, that there are some among us today who don't truly know Jesus as Lord and Savior. Now, when I go to this, to this point that, that God is intentional and involved, I'm, I want to tell you something. It's, it's no mistake that you're here this morning to hear this message. It's no mistake that God has drawn you to this place to do business with him, that he's searching your heart. That we have to, to look at our heart and stop playing games with God. The reality is, is if that if, if you haven't placed your faith, your trust, your confidence in Jesus, if you're not filled with God's spirit, your sin hasn't been dealt with. And it needs to be dealt with that you don't possess the, the assurance of the Lord's spirit guiding your life. You're, you're like a blind guide out in the wilderness, just feeling around and hoping you get it right. You're not living according to God's purpose and plan in your life. The Lord has intended for you to be here today to hear this saving message of the gospel. What is this saving message that we have? That Jesus came and lived perfectly in our place. Why did he have to do that? Because each and every human person is born into sin and we live in rebellion toward our heavenly father. We live according to our will and our way and our selfish desires. We are sinners and we need a savior and God provided a savior for us through his son Jesus Jesus lived perfectly for us according to the letter of the law and the will of his Father. The will of God led him to a cross where Jesus was stripped bare and fixed to the cross and his blood was shed. We believe that the sacrifice of Jesus has atoned for the sins of those who will place their faith, trust, and confidence in his finished work on the cross. Jesus died bodily on the cross and went into the grave. But Jesus didn't stay in the grave. Three days later, the stone was rolled away, and by the power of God's Spirit, Jesus was raised to new life again, overcoming sin and death. He has victory over sin and death, and we can have eternal life 
with him. We can enjoy the fruit of having assurance in our life. Rest in God's good plan. Rest in knowing that his plan is working together for the good of those who are called according to his purpose. We can have that kind of assurance in this life, in the presence of this time, if we trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior.